Welcome. This is John Guthrie with our president and CEO, Jeff Fiesel. And we are under the tower for our second installment of the CEO podcast. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? Good morning. I like that walk-up music. Yeah, that's that's just for you. We'll make sure we use that in Cornerstone from yeah, now on. I like it. Get a little bump. Um, so today, we really wanted to kind of focus on what I, what I would call the next pillar, uh, which is growth and community commitment. And as you know, and as our listeners know, those strategic pillars govern everything we do. Um, and growth and community commitment, what does that really mean to you when we say growth and community commitment? Well, I, I think it goes back to our original purpose and why we were created. Um, back in 1924, people from this community went to the Florida legislature and asked to build a hospital. And they asked for the ability to levy taxes on the community in order to do so, to get a little bit of money together to go out and then issue bonds, uh, revenue bonds, and then uh, build a hospital. And they were granted that ability with one uh, caveat, and that is that we exist to provide access to care. And our commitment to uh, the community is just that to meet the needs of the community. So every year we ask ourselves, uh, what does our community need us to do? Do they need us to expand mental health services? Do they need us to do something different from a child and adolescent uh, perspective? Do they need us, uh, well, they need us to continue with stroke and all of our only programs like trauma. Uh, they need us to teach doctors. They need us to be partnered with Daytona State College um, it is staying out in front of what our community needs us to do. And rarely does anyone in our community come to us and say, hey, we need Halifax to do this because nobody else is doing it. From a healthcare perspective, we're typically out in front of that because it is something that we think about, we talk about on an ongoing basis. And the medical staff here in the community help us with that. Um, we do have community partners from time to time that will talk to us about um, different opportunities, and, and if it's something that um, it ties directly to Halifax, and we'll absolutely get into it. So there's a lot of those things that um, we have committed to the community for, and some of those we do in partnership. Um, our partnership with Brooks Rehabilitation to create the Halifax Health Brooks Center for Inpatient and Outpatient Rehabilitation was out of need. There was really not a comprehensive right. rehab facility um, in town, there were rehab facilities that were providing a cursory level, but people who needed extensive rehabilitation were having to leave the community. So that's why we partnered with Brooks. We partnered with UF because we have an aging medical staff um, that has been in the community for a long time in an independent status, growing older. We knew this, and we keep an eye on this due to you know, the studies that we do and the age of the population by specialty. And uh, having a relationship with the University of Florida has helped us stay out in front of uh, specialists that we need to bring into the community, whether it's neurosurgeons, whether it's vascular surgeons, whether it's endocrinologists or trauma acute care general surgeons, orthopedic surgeons. Uh, we've got, I think, 14 different specialties now that we've aligned with the University of Florida to meet the needs of the community. And, and within, with respect to that partnership, that also leads to growth. We've seen tremendous growth in those specialty areas where we have aligned with the University of Florida. 
Um, and that's to meet the, the, the growing population that we have here in the community as well as the state of Florida because some of those specialists are drawing from uh, far and beyond our historical or typical um, market area. So yeah, they, they, I have to say they are extremely, extremely competent and they are really easy to work with too, which is great for promotion. We've got a really nice stable. One of the areas that I've been thinking about is, um, is our neurosurgery area. So as we were talking about the needs of the community and trauma, I just see our neurosurgery area growing in leaps and bounds. It was kind of, I would say, a little bit stagnant uh, before UF partnership, but now with UF Health Partnership, we have a lot of neurosurgeons, don't we? Yeah, we do, and uh, it's been a very, very successful part of our relationship with the University of Florida. And to your point, John, uh, prior to our relationship there, we had three neurosurgeons, and uh, their hands were full, quite frankly, just covering the trauma call, covering call in the emergency room. And uh, we've moved beyond that now, and uh, through the partnership with the University of Florida, it's, allow us, it's allowed us to um, not only cover the trauma services, because when, you, when there's a trauma, the majority of the time it's a blunt force trauma, meaning an automobile accident versus a penetrating trauma, which is either a knife or a gunshot wound. Um, and it typically involves some uh, part of your neurological system, so you need a neurosurgeon. That's one of those many things that differentiates Halifax from other hospitals is the fact that we have neurosurgeons on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. Other hospitals do not have that. They may market that they have that, but they're not in-house, they're not on call, they're not ready to take care of those patients. So it requires that you have at least three, you really should have five or six. But once you reach that level, um, you're also in a position to cover a lot more elective work that right. takes place. Um, and there's a lot of back uh, pain in our community. There is in most communities, quite frankly, but you typically have to go to a neuroscience center of excellence. And that's really our end goal with our neurosurgeons. We, everybody knows somebody who's had back problems. Absolutely. I myself had uh, an event a couple years ago where I required back surgery. And I feel so fortunate that we have these fabulous neurosurgeons here in our community. But not everybody requires back surgery. Right. And um, so having a comprehensive place for them to go is really the important thing, back to a community need. People will, will have an event, and it may be a chronic ongoing event, or it may be an acute event that all of a sudden sends them to the emergency room. And of course, in our society today, um, we're not allowed to, uh, and we're really not allowed to prescribe opioids, right? Um, unless there is a an absolute need. And when you get people coming to the emergency room complaining about back pain, you don't know whether it's acute and necessary or not. And typically, emergency room doctors will not prescribe opioids. They'll go home, take some Tylenol three, and. Uh, if you can get in to see a neurologist or your primary care or a neurosurgeon, if you're fortunate, you get in to see a neurosurgeon. Um, and a neurosurgeon may look at you and say, yeah, you don't require surgery, and they may send you home. Well, where do you go from there? And that's, that's our whole purpose in creating a neuroscience center of excellence so that people will have a place to go, and we will have neurologists there 
for them to be seen. We'll have neurosurgeons. We'll have pain management doctors. We'll have rehabilitation options. We'll have interventional, when I say pain, interventional pain, uh, whether it's an epidural shot to help with uh, some of your pain or whatever the need may be. But it's a comprehensive stop. And our neurosurgeons are, you know, kind of the linchpin. Right. To all of that, being able to deal with spine issues that patients have here in our community. And there's a lot of it. Yeah, there is. I was looking at actually at our numbers in um, in Deltona and back pain is number one and then chest pain and then gut pain. So it was, it was interesting. So as, as we look at this stable of amazing neurosurgeons and, and I, I put uh, Dr. Bender in there, our, our pain uh, medication doctor, because he's really busy. Um, and he does a great job. Uh, as we look at that piece of it and, and the relationship between UF, we get the benefit of those surgeons in that practice. They cover trauma call for us, which is, that's part of our close to $70 million in uncompensated care that, and programs there. Are we going to be to a point where we don't have to subsidize the program with neurosurgery because of the amount of surgeons and electives, do you think, soon? No. <laughs> Darn. No. Um, it's, it's kind of the nature of being in trauma. It goes back to the commitment. And, you know, trauma in and of itself isn't, you know, what makes up the majority of the 70 million. It's, it's other routine people coming into the emergency. Oh, right, right. So it's, it's, it's comprehensive. Um, you know, the trauma program probably from a community commitment and covering or paying the specialist to be on call is probably 15 to 18 million a year. Yeah. So every trauma program carries that burden. Right. Um, but to your point, the surgical specialties are what help us cross-subsidize everything else that we do, whether it's medical admissions, or whether it's emergency room visits or, or, or. Um, so yeah, the, the neurosurgical program is, uh, we intend to grow that program. Uh, right now we have four neurosurgeons. Uh, we've had as many as five. We intend to, to bring in a neighborhood of six here in the Daytona area on the east side. And then we'll reevaluate the need for additional neurosurgeons on the west side of the county, because so many of those people, there are no neurosurgeons over there. Right. Um, there's a couple of orthopods over there that's doing some spine work. Right. Um, but there's no neurosurgeons. And um, having a UF Halifax office there at our Halifax Health, uh, UF Health Deltona Hospital um, would be key to the growth of, of that hospital. And it would allow people on, on the west side not to have to come to the east side here to Halifax or go, go into uh, Orlando. Right, and, th and that gets to the, the commitment and the need. Deltona came to us and said, we need a hospital. Um, well, first they said, we need an emergency room and a hospital and we need pediatrics and all those things. And so, yeah, slowly increasing those services over there is based on the need. So, like, you drive around all day just thinking about what's needed in places, don't you? Well, I don't drive around necessarily. But. <laughs> I just, I just, I mean, you're you're always thinking about like what's the next thing, and I would not have. I agree, trauma is a need, but I didn't think that this is exactly where our conversation would go because 
I guess I wasn't thinking about how it all fits together. Yeah, if we didn't have a trauma program, we'd still have neurosurgeons. Right. But um, when you think about traumas, um, you know, you, you, need a, you need a trauma surgeon there, and they're general surgeons. Um, but the, the most needed interventions are done by orthopedic surgeons. Right. And then uh, neurosurgeons. And actually, the number of times that interventions are needed on trauma patients, surgical interventions, is around 20%. And you would think it would be just the opposite. You'd think right. there would be more of a need for interventions. But um, so that's where the, the tie-in ha- happens. You know, most blunt force traumas involve some kind of head trauma. Falls involve some kind of head trauma. So you need a neurosurgeon uh, to, to check on those patients. So... Um, but the elective side of the spine work and back work is, is really where they spend the majority of their time. Yeah, and I think um, these, especially with Dr. Han's leadership, um, he's been out in the community a lot. And uh, I think that we're getting the name out there more and more, and hopefully that's going to equate to filling those six neurosurgeons with cases. Dr. Han's done a great job. Um, but in addition to that, you remember Dr. Kana has been oh, yeah. for a long time, and he is an excellent, excellent uh, neurosurgeon that a lot of people in the community have been to before, and they have tremendous trust in him. He's got a great reputation, so we're fortunate to have him be a part of the foundation of our neuroscience. Absolutely. Program. And then we brought in Dr. Kraft, uh, Paul Kraft, and Dr. Ian Toffel, and these guys have some tremendous training behind them. Um, they're doing amazing things, and I, I tell you what, we're so fortunate because one of the litmus tests that I have for our docs is would I use them? Right. And any one of those can perform right. surgery on me any day. And maybe some of them have. We don't know. Yes. <laughs> HIPAA. Um, so um, as we talk about community commitment and growth, we've really grown a lot in the last well, we've always been growing, but in the last, I would say, three, I'll take the pandemic, even we were opening up new practices during the pandemic even, but, you know, when you look at all those new opportunities, the one that I kind of wanted to talk to you about are freestanding emergency departments. Those are very interesting to me. What, what is our strategic plan with freestanding emergency departments, and how many do you anticipate we'll probably open in the next two to three years? Well, first of all, freestanding emergency departments are part of our broader strategy, uh, ambulatory strategy. And uh, what I mean by that is um, in healthcare, you've got your inpatient hospitals, which is our Port Orange Hospital or Deltona Hospital and one here in Daytona. You would think that there'd be a reduced need for that, for those facilities, because there's so many things as healthcare technology improves that are moving to an outpatient setting. But there's always going to be a need for high-level acute care uh, for trauma centers, for stroke centers, for heart attacks, or people really need a hospital. That's never going to go away um, until we just stop providing care like that and let people pass, and that's that's not going to happen. However, what became apparent prior to, and certainly during the pandemic, was not everybody likes to go to a hospital. True. Uh, People like convenience, and this new generation is even more so. 
And um, so they like easy in, easy out. Yep. And so what that does is it pushes a lot of things that we used to come to the hospital for to an outpatient setting. And it's a less expensive setting as well as people become more cost conscious about healthcare. So we as healthcare providers are typically involved in building hospitals. And now we've got to shift a lot of our focus to an ambulatory or outpatient arena, establishing more primary care uh, physicians in the community. We've done that through our family medicine residency program, right. teaching doctors. Uh, we've got done a really good job from a pediatric primary care perspective um, with Dr. Ahmed and our children's medical services, in addition to Keach Street Clinic, in addition to our pediatric emergency room, our family medicine practice that has pediatric rotations there. We've done a really good job there. Um, but in other areas, when people um, can't get in to see their primary care doctor, right. but don't need a high tertiary care emergency room or don't want to go right. to a hospital-based emergency room, they like access to either an urgent care center, right, um, which is a step above a primary care doctor, but a step below a freestanding emergency room, typically because they don't have the same ancillary services available like CT scanners, um, some of the lab work and cardiology tests that may be required. And then there's the freestanding emergency room, which ambulances are allowed to uh, stop and drop patients there. Um, Emergency, freestanding emergency rooms are, have the same requirements as a hospital-based emergency room. They need to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. They need to have a, an emergency room physician in them. It's not all of them do, but uh, they need to have an ER doc in there staffing it. And, um, you know, they vary in size. They can be anywhere from four to five beds up to 25 beds, 30 beds, just based upon the market. And um, it is a convenience item. If I were here to tell you that it's absolutely needed in healthcare, um, we can do with a few less of them. Right. Because the reason I say that is they're expensive to build. Yeah. And um, they're, some healthcare providers are building them in higher income communities. And that's really, there's actually been studies done on it. And when they're being built, that's the purpose they're serving. It's not to be built in an underserved area or a rural area right? Um, to serve the community. And there's no certificate of need necessary for that, right? No, so long as, so long as they're built within, I think it's 30 miles of a hospital-based emergency room, there's no CON required. And in Florida, the CON requirement's gone away. Yeah, but I believe there is a federal requirement that they be within thirty miles of a hospital-based um, emergency room. Interesting. So, how many do you see in in Halifax Health's future? Well, we're doing it to to remain competitive. Um, if we don't do it, then what will happen is our competition will siphon off the the um, the young crowd, commercially insured yeah. patients, which helps us cross-subsidize everyone else. Right. Um, so we, we're going to do it to remain competitive in that market. We have to be in the ambulatory space in order to create, it essentially creates a funnel yeah. into the tertiary care hospital, the high acuity hospital services. And uh, so, you know, we built our first one in Deltona. And uh, the good news there is we didn't build it with the intention of just leaving it. We knew we were probably going to build inpatient beds there 
to surround it because I mean, the reason that's important is um, you do need to have access to higher acuity care because you're not going to be able to take care of all right. the patients that show up in your freestanding emergency room. Um, the thing that the freestanding emergency rooms don't have as readily available is the specialist, whether it's a gastrointestinal doctor, whether it's a cardiologist, whether it's an orthopod, a surgeon, a neurologist. Um, so you have to be close to those specialists to have a more comprehensive freestanding emergency department. We, uh, so when we built the one in Deltona, we knew we were going to add beds. We knew we were going to round out the medical staff. Um, but we, we intend to build one in Port Orange. We intend to build one in Ormond. We'll probably build one in Southeast Volusia. We're looking at locations in West Volusia as well as uh, Palm Coast. So for me to sit here today and tell you exactly how many we're going to build, it's, 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 it's an ongoing, evolving uh, matter. We've, we've got commitments to build two of them. Got it. Um, when I say that from the Board of Commissioners, um, we've already committed the capital to build two freestanding EDs, and those will be operational within the next, I would say, 24 months. That's great. And, you know, I wasn't really thinking it through because I think of healthcare on my own terms, and I would just go to a, an emergency department, a hospital, because that's what my age group probably is used to. But you bring up a great point. In order to get that younger set who doesn't necessarily want to go to a hospital and doesn't have the same feelings that we have as a hospital. I can see this as a really good way to encourage people to have the experience that they want. You know, it's part of their health care. It's not just showing up and getting fixed. It's showing up to a place you want to show up and being a part of your health care and getting your, your symptoms taken care of. Yeah. Makes sense. And, and typically, the younger you are, I guess the less concerned you are, um, yeah. the lower acuity, right. the, the care that you need is. The older we get, then we need access right. to those specialists. Right. Whereas the younger generation, it's like, yeah, I just, I just need to pop in and right. get this done. And get Make out. sure it's not broken. I don't want to spend the whole day there. So, yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you, they think they want to go to Publix and get an X-ray. Right. That's just that's not there yet. Maybe it is in the future. Who knows? Pretty um, soon it'll be on your phone, maybe. Could be. It's crazy. Yeah. So um, when it comes to, to primary care, um, you know, there is a shortage of primary care physicians in this community. Thank goodness we have our family residency program. Because if we didn't have that program, I don't know how many primary care physicians we'd have in this community because we, we populate the community with amazing, like Dr. Bill Meyer, um, I believe Dr. White, there are a lot of physicians who've come through that program and stayed here. We always want to keep more. I think there are more primary care physicians in this community that came from our family medicine residency than there are that did not. I bet you're right. Come. I bet you're I, right. I think we're 175 to 200 primary care doc graduates of our family medicine Yeah, that's program. amazing. And to your point, if, if it weren't for our family medicine residency program, we would be challenged to recruit primary care docs to the community. And we're, and we're moving north a little bit. Can you kind of bring up, us up to speed on um, Dr. Peck and moving north to help fill the need there? Yeah, we've Dr. Peck, another graduate of right. our family medicine residency program, along with her husband. Um, she, um, she's decided to, to come in and be a part of Halifax Health. 
uh, as one of our employed physicians. She's been working at a Dr. Leslie Williams office in um, Mormon Beach on Granada Avenue, west of 95, there at our uh, Booth Road location. And um, we have identified um, an area at this point, which is the Old Dixie Highway, um, 95 intersection up near Plantation Bay and Halifax Landings. And there's a public uh, shopping center there. Um, but we're all, right now, she's going to be west of 95. And uh, she's setting up a primary care office there. Eventually, we'd like to have two doctors up there and two advanced practitioners. Um, and we're looking at uh, some opportunities to build a new office for her on the east side of 95. Right now, that's a little bit cost prohibitive, so we're backing up, reevaluating, and addressing both the cost and the timing of that. But we will have a location for her in that neighborhood. And uh, she'll probably have an advanced practitioner there, and she is an amazing, amazing physician. We're so fortunate to, to have her join our primary care team. And once again, it's just addressing the needs of the community. There's no health care providers up there right. for that market. And um, we're looking at opportunities in Palm Coast as well, just like when we went to Deltona. The city of Deltona asked us to come over there. Um, because there were no health care providers there, there were no services, and once we committed to doing that, then all of a sudden everybody's interested in Deltona. Right. And Flagler counties ask us to come up there. They want other options available to them other than Advent. Competition is good um, in health care, and um, the moment we uh, we break ground in, in uh, Palm Coast, you're going to, the fur will start to fly up there as well, and um, Advent's made a couple of commitments up there, um, but none to specialists. And, uh, that seems to be the thing that people don't want to commit to. Why is that? Why do other organizations shy away from committing to those specialists in, in non-traditional hospital settings? Because it's easier for them to, to use primary care in those settings and funnel everybody to where they want to funnel them and where their specialists are. Um, secondary to that is there's fewer specialists. Sure. So um, they, if, you, if you try to get in to see a specialist, it typically takes you a while. And yeah. Because there's higher demand. There's fewer of them. Right. Um, there's more primary care. I mean, theoretically, there is anyway. Yeah. You wouldn't necessarily know it. But um, they try to funnel you into one location, a higher level uh, of care, because that's where their specialists are. Um, specialists cost more uh, because they're paid more and, um, than primary care. So, um, and some organizations cannot attract specialists, and, and I think that's been the case with, with some of our competition. Right. Yeah. And it's what's great about our relationship with the University of Florida. Yeah, I mean, they that's... They produce specialists. Yeah, it's, it's amazing when you look at Dr. Khanna and both Khanna's and all those folks. I mean, some of those we wouldn't have without University of Florida because they want to be part of both things. They want to serve like they're doing here, caring for everybody, but being on the faculty and having access to all those things is just... Um, I think it's a real seller for us. It is, and it's a great... Uh, 
great complement, if you will, to our family medicine residency program. Uh, back to Dr. Peck, I mean, we've, we've, um, we're fortunate to have the primary care base that we have and the fact that we produce eight primary care doctors every year and many of them stay in our community. And then to combine that with the specialists and access to um, more specialists through the University of Florida and the halo effect of the University of Florida is uh, it's a tremendous advantage for us and it's gonna help us meet the needs, the growth needs yeah. um, of the community into the foreseeable future, as you far know, out as you can plan in healthcare. One thing that I'm always so impressed with is the fact that you slash the administration um, focuses on refilling the funnels. And when I say refilling the funnels, the Daytona State um, nursing scholarships and endowment and having that access, Bethune-Cookman, University of Central Florida, Kaiser, the FSU uh, Medical School, the UF piece. I mean, I think all those relationships are our key to, to quality sustainability. You're, you're absolutely right, John. And geez, this, if you, if you, doesn't matter how long you've been in healthcare. If you take a step back from it and say, you know, what do we need in healthcare? Who's in the office taking care of you? primary care doctor office or whether it's a dentist or whether it's a hospital emergency room no matter where you are whether if you're admitted in the hospital or prior to going to surgery after you go to surgery who's taking care of you it's a nurse right yeah a, a doctor is is uh, uh, driving the car so to speak or is the quarterback of the operations but the tremendous support services that are provided by nurses and you know, typically nurses know as much or more about a patient than a, than a physician True. does. And um, it's really important. Um, it's been important for as long as I've been in healthcare. My wife was a nurse, and um, I've heard firsthand some of the, the stories that take place and the situations that take place, and then being in healthcare uh, for this long, you have an opportunity to interface with nurses. They, they are tremendously valuable. And 23 years ago, when uh, we came to town, um, Daytona State College was producing, uh, I believe it was 30 nurses a year. Uh, they're now producing 300 nurses. That's amazing. And I remember the conversation I had with Dr. Kent Sharples at the time, and um, early on in my career here, and uh, we got to talking about all the allied health programs, and he says, what is it that we can do for Halifax? And I said, well, I'd like to see you double the size of your nursing program. I said, 30 nurses is great, and we appreciate it, but, and you're doing a great job, so we'd like to see you produce twice as many. And they did it within two years. And then here we are 20 years later, and, and they're producing Tenfold. Nurses. That's awesome. So they have been tremendous partners. And that's not to take anything away from the University of Central Florida, Kaiser, Rasmussen, University of North Florida produces nurses, UF, FSU, University of South Florida, Nova South, you know, we yeah. get nurses from all over. The state of Florida is fortunate, but there is going to be a shortage. I was kind of taken back um, by an article I read recently that talked about how many nurses left the uh, industry over right. COVID. 
And then they interviewed um, nurses under the age of 45 and asked them how many of them planned on leaving nursing in the next two years. And it was astounding how many of them were mm. looking to leave the profession. So the point is we need to keep yeah. producing nurses. And it's estimated in the state of Florida, I believe, that the last number I saw was 38,000 nurses by 2035 that we're going to have a shortage. A shortage. Yeah. But I, I want to say last week somebody I saw a, a number over 50,000. I think that was through the Florida Hospital Association. Um, you know, we're always going to see numbers like that, and, and uh, just like there's not enough teachers, um, there's not enough doctors, there's not enough nurses, right. there's not enough that. You know, but it is our responsibility to work with our secondary educational organizations as well as our primary educational, uh, public education systems and private, to expose people to health care. Absolutely. So that they understand what it is before they get into their um, college and uh, make sure it's what they want to be a part of because it, it takes a special person and it's hard. It's not easy work. It's no. not glamorous. It's not what you see on TV. Um, our nurses and our allied health professionals, whether it's radiology techs, respiratory therapists, you name it, our phlebotomists work very, very hard. They do. And the thing that a lot of people forget about when you look at healthcare is it's 24-7. It's not eight hours a day. It's around the clock. Right. And we need people here. Um, we need people here every day, all day long. Every encounter, every day, everyone, right? Absolutely. That's what it's about. Final thing I wanted to wrap up with, and this kind of fits into that, is the legislation uh, or the legislative session is, is coming to a close, we hope, uh, with the budget and everything else. What, from a safety net hospital or from a healthcare perspective, would team members be interested in that you've been watching? Healthcare violence. Um, there's legislation that I believe is passed out of committee and we'll know this week, and providing the governor signs it. And it has to do with um, uh, a matter that's extremely important to me, and that is uh, violence against healthcare providers. It's another amazing statistic is if you were to talk to nurses, over half of them will tell you of an example where they have either been verbally or physically assaulted by patients that's, or family members. That is astounding. And it's absolutely unacceptable. It's not necessary. Now, you, get, you come here for help, and we're here. We're going to help you. We're going to do everything in our power, and um, we're going to treat you with tremendous compassion and respect, and we expect the same. We right. certainly don't expect to be abused, and we will not tolerate our nurses being abused, our doctors, any of our team members being abused by patients and or their families. And um, there's legislation that uh, creates penalties around that creates greater emphasis on the fact that you can't go to the hospital emergency room and t take whatever has happened to you and whatever is going sideways in your life out on the healthcare providers. Right. It's totally unacceptable. It's, it's creating greater awareness to it. And uh, so that's one of the, the big wins that's taken place. The other things that are going on in le the legislature is for a change, um, they're not cutting the Medicaid budget. That's good news. And, uh, in fact, they're putting some additional money into uh, higher acuity pediatric admissions. Uh, they're calling it pediatric adjusters, high-intensity adjusters. So uh, I think uh, because we have a pediatric program, we'll the only one. see some uh, additional funds 
for pediatric care. And the other area that they're putting, um, investing more in healthcare is uh, graduate medical education. But that's for new residency slots, which won't, won't affect us here. Um, but the important thing is, uh, right now, the state of Florida has a lot of money mm -hmm. because of uh, more people moving here and the tremendous uh, economic growth that's taken place. Those are all good things, and it creates an environment where we can't, we can't be spending frivolously. Um, and I think the legislature's done a good job of balancing that. Um, so it's not like they're going to throw a lot of money in health care, but they're not going to cut health care. Which is great. And that, that's important because from a, a Medicaid perspective, you know, the, when we get paid by Medicaid, it doesn't, doesn't cover our costs, and we just we have to cross-subsidize that with the employer group health plan sector, and that's becoming unsustainable too. So, uh, but the legislature's done done well by us, and um, you know we've got a great delegation here in uh, uh, Volusia County, um, and uh, you know Representative Tremont from Port Orange, he's, done, he's new, he's a rookie on the block, but he's up there fighting the good fight. We've got Webster Barnaby, uh, we've got Tom Lake, we've got Paul Renner, uh, we've got Senator um, Tom Wright and uh, Travis Hudson. Yeah. And they've uh, solid they've represented us well. It's probably one of the best delegations. Yeah, I would agree. Had. I would agree. And uh, we're fortunate. They're watching out for our best interest. Uh, but yet they're being fair and, and equitable to the rest of the state. And the fact that, that um, Representative Leake is the chair of appropriations and uh, Representative Rent Paul Renner is the um, Speaker of the House. And that's a big deal. We haven't yeah. had uh, a local representative in leadership for quite some time. So it's, it's nice to uh, bring some bacon home to Volusia and Flagler counties and help further the economic growth and, and the, the great things that are going on here in our community. So I considered a, a very, very successful legislative session. Great. Um, we're not through it yet. This is the last week, and uh, the budget will have to be submitted, I think, by tomorrow night um, because they have a 72-hour cooling off period before they can, can vote on it and finalize it. Um, so, you know, the horse trading is going to take place here in the next 24 to 48 hours we'll see how it'll be it fun to out. watch it will be it will be well this has been a great half an hour ish 35 minutes ish whatever it was uh we are visiting with jeff fiesel president and ceo of halifax health we dissected the uh, community commitment and growth uh strategic pillar and uh this concludes our broadcast i want to thanks jeff all right thank you john take care